Lucy, we're the band. You are? Oh, gee, that's nice. Hey, Bob, this is the band. All right. Uh, what kind of music do you usually have here? Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. Oh, hello. For Starting Strength Seminars coming up, October 14th through the 16th is the next one up. After that, December 9th through the 11th. For training camps on the list with spots still available, we have a deadlift and power clean camp in Houston at Starting Strength Houston on September 10th. And we have a few squat and deadlift camps on the list with spots available. Tulsa, Oklahoma at Starting Strength Tulsa on September 17th. We'll be in Tampa, Florida on October 22nd. Also on October 22nd, Long Island, New York. For three lift camps with spots available, that's covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift. We do have spots left in Villa Park, California. That's in Orange County, California at the Strength Co. on September 24th. We'll be on October 8th in Sandy, Utah. And October 30th in Baltimore at 5x3 Training. And finally, December 11th, back to London. Talking to my buddy Ray Gillenwater of Starting Strength Gyms, who is still looking for talent. So if you're looking for a career move, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com. Check out the coaching tab, fill out the form, and get on the list to hear more. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, please head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Okay, welcome back. Ladies and gents, to Starting Strength Radio, and uh, here we are again to bring you another cutting-edge exposure to a very, very important person other than myself, and we're here today with Matt Larson. Matt is the Director of Combatives at the United States Military Academy at West Point. And, no, you're right, we don't fuck around about these guests. We go right (laughs) to the top. And... uh, Matt has got a rather storied background. That's the first time I've ever been able to work the word mm-hmm. "storied" into a into a into a deal. I could probably get a job on ESPN now, couldn't I? It's just like every third word on ESPN. Uh, Matt has got a rather comprehensive Wikipedia page uh, that he no doubt paid someone else to write for him, and uh, I think you ought to I think you ought to read it. <laughs> you'll be uh, at least interested in in Mr. Larson's background. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about um, a thing that we have talked about on this, on this podcast many, many times in the past, and that is the relationship between strength and combat. Uh, I've been a proponent of uh, strength standards in the military for a very, very long time. And up until now, I've been completely ignored. And as far as I know, uh, Matt is the only guy associated with the military to ever even broach the topic of the fact that forced production has a direct bearing on your ability to fight. Now, Matt, it seems, and I, I know you'll agree with me, that it it seems uh, interesting that we have to explain that to people. 
Well, a very wise man once said something to to the tune of "Everything in life is better when you're stronger." And uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I've I've found that to be true. So, you know, if I'm in a fight with a guy that's trying to kill me, I'd rather be stronger than he is. You know, you know, it's, it's funny. The uh, I think the actually even the big army has realized that they that I mean has realized that the importance of strength and. And uh, to to that effect, you know, they they have recently in the last few years changed their uh, fitness test, mm-hmm. and they have a, they have a new one called the the Army Combat Fitness Test. And the first the first um, thing on it is deadlifting. So you have to do a three right. rep max deadlift and with a trap with, bar. With a trap bar. With a trap bar. <laughs> but you know, right. if, if you think well, it's about a it, step, so, you know, I, I you <laughs> that's know, right. we, we'd have to say that that's you know at least that's a tacit admission that. This this aspect of human performance is important in uh, in combat. So yeah, I, even even there are other tests on that test. They're mostly all measures are they're methods of trying to measure strength without buying too much equipment. You imagine if they have a million people, so if you have to test people all over the world, well, they you know. they did have to buy half a million people a trap bar. <laughs> Well, that's true. Because the gym already had a barbell in it, you know. <laughs> Sorenex is proud of them. But well, you know, before the before this test, they, they the test was only uh, push ups and sit ups and a two mile run. Mm-hmm. You know, in that era, that was the era that I grew up in the military in, and and, uh, and I was in the Marine Corps first, and, and we had pull ups instead of uh, push ups, but still. It, it, those things made for everybody to be, you know, 150 pound weaklings, right? Uh, who who could run like the right. wind, that, right? Like what, it's World War One. Yeah, and and you, you know, know, I would arguably in that era, the two real measures of fitness before the modern era were, you know, endurance mm-hmm. and measured primarily in being able to walk places with heavy equipment. I would say, but right. but um, yeah, that was that was actually what we all were. We were small. Um, and but, I, I was in the Marine Corps and in the Army Rangers for many years, and everybody was like that. You know, Matt, the interesting thing about that is is that a 225-pound guy can walk a hell of a lot further with 100 pounds of kit than a 165-pound guy can walk, no matter what his, his five-mile run time is. And yeah, it I'm, never occurred to anyone that you – that walking with a hundred pound kit requires the ability to produce enough force that a hundred pound kit does not murder your ass, you know? (laughs) And I, I, I don't understand why that's not perfectly obvious because you know, damn good and well, and it was your experience as well, that the bigger Mm -hmm. guys in the outfit had less trouble with walking with the kit than the little guys in the outfit, even at the time. Yeah. It's true, and I think that urban warfare, you know, all the time we spent fighting in built-up areas, and the whole war in Iraq was in urban areas. That really, you know, puts a point on it. it when you're in urban areas and you're trying to get over obstacles or climb up on buildings or or you're trying to carry stuff up and down stairs and, and you're not to mention your buddies and stuff, you, you know, being strong is important. And, and that's why the Army kind of realized after a while, all the, what happened is all the elite units were all, becoming bigger stronger people because they needed to for performance on the battlefield and that permeated that idea permeated out through the force i worked with a couple of elite units 
oh, 12 years ago. And uh, one, one of these units in particular uh, was noticeably made up of guys who averaged 210, 215 pounds of body weight. They were taller guys. They were heavier guys. They're all squatting over 400 pounds. Yeah, and uh, this is just that was that was their culture, and you know it wasn't uh, as far as I as far as I remember it was not uh, statutorily required, but that's just what they knew they had to be big and strong, so they kept themselves that way. And yeah, that, that's basically what happened. Right. Those those guys and those types of units, you know, it, the army is like that. Everybody looks up to the to the more elite organizations sure. and they like that and they like to emulate them and try to say oh you know we're just as good as those guys and over time the, the everything that those guys do it permeates out through the force you know everything's like that Sh- our, our shooting methods our all that stuff is all from the more elite units that just went out to the other forces you know i've always uh, been a proponent of strength training as a part of basic training for all the branches of the military if you were to take a bunch of 18 19 year old kids and as a part of boot camp instead of you having them run you have them squat press bench press and deadlift for six months and feed them enough to get recovered and maybe let them sleep an extra hour a night can you imagine the difference yeah. in the in the in the you start them that young when they're right in the middle of their novice potential and have them i mean they've already got poisonous levels of testosterone and you feed them and and train them correctly and have them squat and have them compete with each other on the squat and the deadlift and teach the movements correctly can you imagine the potential to transform the physical nature of a soldier. I, it's just, it just boggles the mind, the wasted opportunity we have here. Yeah, you know? I think, I think uh, you know, so the, the reason I've got the job that I am is because I spread the, my fighting system throughout the Army. And, you know, the major, the major lessons there is the difficulty of changing a culture and the the strength of institutional inertia. So I tell people in my classes now, I always ask them, you know, what's the very first thing you learned when you were a soldier? And the first thing is always like stand in the position of attention, facing movement, step off of the left foot, right? And so, okay, so was that because that was like super important on the model, modern battlefield? And of course they all know that it wasn't. I say, that's right. So why did we do it? And the reason is that the Romans did. Like for real, right. 2,000 years ago, they learned that this was a good way to instill discipline, and we're still doing it that way because that's the nature of institutional inertia, right? We're not going to, you it's, know, I, I'm the same way with PT. What what would we do differently if we could, um, if we could, you know, make our own physical ed, uh, physical training system? The people like you and I. Well, I, I would, I would have them fight it, you know, from day one imagine how good of a fighter you could be if you had a whole culture full of people where it was expected of you and that's what we did you know yeah didn't we call those guys spartans at one time yeah i mean mean, they they were from babyhood they were 
they were taught that this is what's expected of you and this ability is is revered and instilled in these kids all the way up and all of the things that enable them to do that better were expected of them in terms of training and yeah. uh, but now we want them to run five miles and i i don't you can't explain that you know other than it's always been done this way and it's always been done this way is the shittiest explanation for anything that you could come up with that all that means is is you are unwilling to think about it yeah i mean i would like i said imagine the difficulty of spreading of spreading fighting training throughout the army because it's a very similar it's a very similar problem right and and right. the there's there's not only is there institutional inertia there's a whole bunch of people who don't want it to be part of their life right they you know the difference between for example uh, teaching at a at a civilian martial arts school or a civilian gym is that everybody who comes to you is self-motivated mm -hmm. and so teaching a bunch of self-motivated people is the easiest thing in the world now when you're trying to train a unit maybe you got 30 man platoon or 20,000 man division what percentage of those people are motivated to learn to fight or get strong because that number's increasingly small you know so small that it's insignificant those people are not going to have any effect on your overall strength of your unit so you're going to have to arrange things you're going to have to slowly change the culture so that you make that a thing you know that's why i said about the the army's new combat fitness test that's actually what it is right it's the test is just a method of trying to change the culture to get people to value strength right because they because they've learned that so so that's what you see like there's been a drastic change in the army in the last couple of years about how what percentage of people are lifting weights giant change and it's all because of that trap bar deadlift requirement well i guess that's i ought to quit poor mouth in the thing huh? <laughs> yeah well it's, you know there's always there's always controversy and everybody gets caught up in the controversy like we we just recently had this big one of the tests was uh you know, hang from the bar and bring your knees up to your elbows. So it's called a knee tuck. And there was a bunch of controversy because, you know, a lot of people couldn't do it, etc. And they eventually replaced it with a, a planking, which, you know, it doesn't matter what, what people. Yeah, you know what I mean? But they, the, <laughs> yeah. the but the main point is, though, that like that's the friction of battle, right? The leaders knew they were trying to get people to be strong. That's the point. And so they've just moved the entire zitgeist of the army, you know, the, the has pushed over that direction more towards strength just in these few years because of what they were able to get accomplished, even with this friction going on, you know, that was pushed back on how they went. So, well, you know. that's, that's an interesting thing that, that, that so many recruits bring into the military a reluctance to fight why the hell are they there yeah Do, I would, I, you know are I they there for, you think they're there just for the benefits no so I, what i think is that when young soldiers come in they come in to play soldier right and what i mean by that is imagine a kid is you know in his home in his hometown and he says i'd like to join the army and then everybody in his life says well when you're in the army you need to go get some trade you know so you can make a living and so then the real reason he went in was because he wanted to go be in the army you know and so we we don't have any problem at all training those young people they're motivated you know they're about it mm -hmm. the problem the problem is when people start to get older 
you know, the hardest when you try to come in and get a change of culture, it's not the new people in the culture that are the issue. It's the old people because they've been doing it that way forever, right? That's you right. got people. You got people like back in, I guess it was in the, around 2000, 98, 2000, something like that. The Army Fitness School tried to change the uh, Army's physical fitness standards. And when they did, man, the entire Army came unglued because imagine everybody who was in a senior position had been successful at the old standards. Right. They liked to run. <laughs> they liked what they had made them successful, you know? And so you came along, if you come along and say, oh, now we, you have to do this uh, new thing, it doesn't even matter what the new thing is. You're going to meet resistance. Sure. And fight, fighting is like that big time because we come to, to uh, senior people who are at the peak of their trade and you say, okay, I'm going to show you some new fundamental stuff. And not only is it going to be hard for you to learn and you're going to be bad at it, but you also might get humiliated because you know that's that's the same story with with lifting right like why don't people like to why do people resist starting training because, yeah, because their deadlift is 135 <laughs> that's right they're right. afraid to look weak right right that's right so the whole thing is like ego pressing against right. against the right thing you know and it, you know that's that's interesting because it's it's rather easy to overcome um the reluctance to start your deadlift at 135 because uh, I mean next workout we're going to 145 and the one after that we're going to 155 and then 165 175 185 and then we'll go to 190 and every time you train you're going to go up and we have had pretty good success um, with motivating people by just showing them the numbers as they increase on uh, in their training books, uh, that that's that's a that's a function of the of the way we do this program, is we go up every single time. We don't vary the exercises. We we vary the load, and the load is always going up. And you are getting stronger, and you know it. You immediately know it. And it doesn't matter where you started. We can take these people from a 185-pound deadlift to 405 in six months. We do it all the time. Any male can do that. And yeah, I'm, a, I'm it's, a total believer. You know, I, you know, I think that. It, it, you, but if you, it, you just have to overcome that first couple of workouts and get, yeah, I know, it's 135 and, right, you know, you think you're a pussy today, right? Got it. But we're not here for today. We're training. We're here for to participate in a process that lasts a very long time that will end up with you as a big, strong badass. And you have to start somewhere. And yeah. you know, I got if you can't if you can't impress upon a young man the value of that, then he probably is not going to be much good for anything to you anyway right yeah. you know it's it's funny but i i think that that lesson the main the main that yeah that's just the main lesson of your program right there we're going to start here right we're going to be systematic and we're going to we're going to and i get the system this being systematic is the, right. is the key and and so that that is the main lesson i think that i ever learned about lifting weights i think that is the and, most important lesson and, I've ever and you learned, know right? that it applies to every other thing that you do and that's right. one of the reasons i think this is so damned important 
uh, for people in the military. Five miles is always five miles. It's the same damn five miles. It doesn't ever increase. It's five miles. But you're deadly because you did a program that, that drove it up. Your strength increases every time you apply this logical analysis to this particular problem. And this logical analysis applies to any problem you encounter. And you learn it under the bar. And I, you know, I, I, it's refreshing that someone in a, in a position such as yours understands this fundamental thing. Uh, because it's, it's, we don't care how far you run, okay? Because that didn't teach you anything. One foot in front of the other doesn't teach you a damn thing. But being able to solve a problem like I'm not strong enough with an, analyzing the problem and understanding that the stress I apply to the system is adapted to, that doesn't just solve the problem of being stronger. It solves the problem of not knowing things yeah. and not having experienced things. It's the same solution. That and teaches the lesson teaches the lesson that to be the master at anything, you must first be willing to be the fool, right? We all have right. to be that 135-pound deadlifter. Right. If we're going to be able to deadlift 500 pounds, exactly. you have to be that guy first. Exactly. And it also teaches you a very important thing that although I'm only deadlifting 135 today, uh, I can, in fact, get to a 500 deadlift. There's a guy right over there that did it. Yeah. That guy right over there, 10 feet away from me, did that. He did it himself, and I can do it too if I yeah. do what he did. And I'm going to take that. Not only am I going to take it and solve the, the strength problem, I'm going to solve it in terms of my knowledge of battlefield systems, of, of uh, things that we encounter in a fight, things that problems that have to be solved with equipment and other people all succumb to incremental increases in stress. Yeah, one of the one of the things we teach in my classes, we we teach uh, the psychomotor learning process, and we we teach it intellectually because out in the force, one of the biggest problems is in the fighting world is that people want to come. You know, every martial arts teacher in the world wishes they were the thinks they're the guy who has the answer, right. and what they always try to sell is you know like the weekend seminar or the one week course or whatnot, and those things are almost always useless. And the reason they're useless is because they try to concentrate on the wrong stuff. They concentrate on, you know, we're going to show you these techniques that will be helpful in your situation that you're going to find yourself in. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's got nothing to do with how you would learn how to fight. Learning the techniques is immaterial. What we teach is, here's the process of how you learn how to fight, right? And then, and so then what we're doing is we're inoculating them from these salesmen who come in. We say, okay, you mm -hmm. know. If you're going to, you know, first you're going to be in the cognitive phase where I show you something and you can barely make your body do it. Then you're going to be in the associative phase where you do it a whole lot of times so that your body starts to digest the information. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you're going to be where you don't have to think about it. And I always give the example of walking, right? I always say, this, I say this skill set here, you know, walking. Anybody have any trouble with it? Do you have to think about it when you're doing it? Of course, they're, they're all adults were like no that's why yeah but it took all of you a year to learn it 
trial and error and eventually you finally got it down you practice to practice to practice and now you walk without thinking about it because you're in the final stage of the of the skill you have the skill right Right. it's the same it's the same with any the learning process is that way first you learned the simple stuff then you put it together then you built a schema so you know what all you know how it all works and then pretty soon you have it right And, and what's interesting you guys are not just teaching the what you're teaching the why mm-hmm. because if you understand the why the what doesn't matter what it is the what yeah. is much more easily acquired yeah yeah and that's uh, this is <laughs> has he been to our seminar there <laughs> it's amazing that people who think about shit actually arrive at the same conclusion. It, it arrive at exactly the same conclusion about exactly the same stuff. Well, Matt, here, I mean, this is uh, this is uh, a terribly interesting. You've come up with a uh, a combatives belt system, which is a, a way to quantify um, a person's ability to fight. Yes. Would you agree with that assessment? It's a it's a way yeah, to quantify that, and and you are the first guy who has has done this in in the analytical fashion that we have stumbled onto here with our starting strength uh, program. But you're the first guy who has done more than just pay lip service to strength. Yeah, you got to be strong. Right, yeah, we got to be strong. Well, we're still going to run five miles, right? But you are saying that strength is the ability to produce force against an external resistance is inherent in the ability to interact with your environment. And if your environment is an opponent, then your ability to interact with that opponent is fundamentally a function of your ability to produce force against that opponent and why that is elusive to everyone else is puzzling but you're the first guy that's incorporated a way to measure this into uh, a system that quantifies the ability of the of the uh, of the operator what how did you do this and tell us about the your your uh, I mean this is a big jump this is a big jump yeah yeah I think so the first thing I would like to like to say about it is that the belt system is a it's an attempt to change the culture like uh, in the same way we were just talking about the army's combat fitness test it's a it's a method of changing the culture to to um, uh, inspire people to be stronger right so so in the so in the martial arts world it's um almost all the martial arts have this like origin story where it's all founded by some guy who was a little weakling when he was young and then through technique he learned to be able to overcome the big strong people and and so because of those myths and because of the salesmanship of trying to sell to weaklings like hey we you know it's the it's the old you know muscle man kicking sand on you at the beach story that every single, mm-hmm. you know, um, martial arts, you know, used because of that, there's still permeates through much of the martial arts world. The idea that it's all about technique, right? 
And so right. I would say, I would you, say you that, just have to learn enough right. about how to move and all your problems are solved. Right. Right. And that's not right. the case. <laughs> and it's definitely not the case. Right. So case. What, I, what I would, what I tell everybody about, you know, about all this is that, you know, these are attributes that you have, you know what I mean? Like skill and technique and experience. Those are attributes that you have as a fighter. Okay. And, and so is your cardio and so is your strength. And those are things that are, you can modify, you know, you can, you can either be a person who never works on any cardio and you don't have any, and you're going to be pretty skillful for the first 10 seconds of the fight before you gas, or you're going to work on it and increase your, your, that asset's going to be better for you. Mm-hmm. And strength is, is certainly one of those, you know, that it's, it's funny. I saw a meme several years ago. It was about all the world champions of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And, and it was talking about the gentle art and how it's for the small people. And every one of them was completely <laughs> jacked, you know, like, 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 okay, well, the world champions are all super strong people, right? So, well, Bruce Lee, you know, Bruce Lee weighed what one thirty five. Yeah, he's a small guy. Yeah, one thirty five. But Bruce Lee could kill anyone. He could yeah. kill anyone because he was, you know, Bruce Lee, and he knew how. And all you got to do is know how. You know that Bruce Lee could could punch you in the chest without actually contacting your chest, and three days Fatal. later you die of a heart Fatal. attack. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. That's because he knew how to do it. And you know what? You don't know how to do it, so you can't do that. And, I mean, all of this bullshit for the past 40 years has permeated young men all over the world, and they all wanted to be Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee would. Bruce Lee didn't weigh 225. Why should I have to weigh 225 if I just learn things? And it's just... I'll, tell you one thing, I'll tell you one thing good about, about Bruce Lee. What, one of the things he used to say, he says, you know, his saying was that, look in the mirror and that his martial art was called Jeet Kune Do. He said, look in the mirror. That's Jeet Kune Do. What he was trying to say was you're going to develop your own stuff. You're just right. going to learn and grow. Right. But then he would say too many people are trying to paste his picture on that thing to try to be him. You know, and that's, that's, that's pretty good advice, right? Like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all I can do is a, as a, as a fighting teacher, as a teacher in general, <clears throat> I'm not, it's, it's not a, I'm not a trainer in that respect. I'm not showing you what to do. You know what I mean? I'm showing you the path. Here's how you get to become a badass. Here's how to, here's how to, here's how to get to be better at thinking about how to solve this problem. Yeah, exactly. You've got a, you got a, it's a math problem, right? It's standing in front of you and it's, if you think about it correctly, it's a math problem and it's something you can solve. And you're right. teaching the process by which you solve the problem. Exactly. You're not solving the problem for them. You're no, teaching them how to solve the you. problem. Right. Yeah, I can't beat that guy's ass for you, but I can show you how you're going to get to be able to be his ass. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 one of those things is be a bigger and stronger person. You know, I I. Uh, have all the, the students out sometimes. And when I walk around the room, I've talked to them about what it means to be in a warrior culture, you know? And I say, here's what it means. And I point to them, you know, give them the knife hands here. I say, you, I, I demand 
that you become as strong as possible because I might get wounded and you're going to have to carry me off the, off the battlefield. And I weigh 230 pounds. Right. And so if I'm talking to somebody who weighs 115, which I generally <laughs> pick out that person, you know, right. it's like, okay, 115 isn't going to get it. You're going to have to be 135 at least because you're going to have to build that much muscle and you're going to have to, you know, there's only one way you're going to get there, you know, and then, and I, I will go around with all the different things like that, that I demand they do. You know, I demand you get on the mat, learn to roll. I demand that you, you know, we make them all take boxing and we make them, there's a whole bunch of skills that we, we force them to learn, you know, and that's what they are. And I, and then, and there's a lot more to it than that too. It's, it's like, okay, <clears throat> what we're doing is we're, we're bringing you into the group who demands this of each other and builds each other up. You know what I mean? Like I always tell them too, because they all have to take boxing their freshman year at West Point. I say, I say, why do we make you take boxing? First off, boxing is a game that people play for fun. Mm -hmm. Now, what sort of people play punch face for fun? Uh, the sort you want with you in a fight, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. And what sort of people don't want to pay punch face for fun? Uh, sort of people you don't want with you in a fight. So you decide right now if you're going to be the sort of person that, that's got my respect. If I'm about to go to war, I am going to demand that you be the person I need you to be. Right. You know, you have to be a good fighter. You have to be strong. You have to be no first aid skills. You have to. You know, there's a list of things that you must do and all of them are going to take work and decide that you're going to be that person if you want me to respect you. Well, if, if you want me to value your presence because you're useful to not just me but everybody else in the same situation and likewise, I must be useful to you. Right. I have an obligation to be that person that you need me to be. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be in the gym. I'm going to do the things I need to do because I'm going to, I'm going to guarantee I'm going to fulfill my end of the bargain, right. you know, and I'm going to be there to help you whenever you, whenever you're failing. It's like, what do you, how would you have ever gotten strong in your life if you didn't have buddies going, Hey, I know you don't want to go to work gym today, but get up. You're going with me. Right. I've got to go. And you guy. do too. Let's get this over with. <laughs> That's right. 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 It's, hey, it's Thursday. We got a squat. That's right. You know, yeah, I know, but my wife left me this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm real sorry about that, but it's Thursday. You know, you're going to you're gonna feel much better about that when you're finished with your squats. Right. In fact, yeah, right. it's, uh, you know, this is something that everybody learns that goes um, from not being strong to being strong is that the process doesn't care about the cert your personal circumstances. The process, uh, is, uh, it's just the math. This is as impersonal as equations. This yeah. is what you have to do to get strong. Uh, it doesn't matter that your wife left you this morning. If uh, you'd like to be strong, if you'd like to be strong, uh, <laughs> I I'm sorry. She left. We'll worry about that after you get through with your last work set. But it's it's we got squat today. Let's go, and that you know that's a that's gotten a lot of guys through some very tough shit. Yeah, being able fine. to reduce it to 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 that set of circumstances, 
uh it's you know it's a that mechanism has been very very valuable to me and lots of other people yeah it's a place to put things you know until it's a it's a place to put unpleasant shit so it's you know it's that's another aspect of of the training that's terribly important so how do you guys incorporate the lifts into this program let's talk about what this actually looks like in terms of its okay. application. So the the program it's it's um, it's it's online, and it's a stair levels. So there are gray belt, green belt, brown belt, black belt, and each of those levels there's essentially a course. And if you're familiar with the way they do college courses online these days, it's like Blackboard. It's that similar sort of thing where you you go on there and there are assignments. But the assignments aren't like learn this thing. The assignments are prove this thing, and you have to submit your proofs. You know, so for example, if you got to be able to fight at a certain level, well, you can submit yourselves in fighting tournaments, and then that proves that you can fight at that level because we can see it's you. We can see you just tap that guy out or choked him out or whatnot. So this is you just did up to ten guys, so we know you can fight at that level, right? And I always say on that. When I got promoted to blue belt in, in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it was from Hoist Gracie, and I went to I was in his class, and I was a white belt, and I tapped three blue belts out in a row, and at the end of class, he threw me the belt, and he said, "Hey, you should be wearing this." Okay, so it's that idea, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, there are also the other proofs are our shooting ability, uh, lifting ability, or strength, and and uh, first aid skills, etc. And so with this, with strength, we just look at the you know, the, I just picked the standard lifts, you know, uh, squat, deadlift, and bench press. And so I think that gives you a, a pretty good rounded amount of what somebody can really do. And we have great databases about what, what it means to be strong. You know, we can say, okay, you know, a novice lifter within his first year who weighs this much should be able to do this much. You know, we have lots and lots of information on that stuff in the industry. So it's easy to come up with good standards to be able to say, okay, so then what they have to do is make their lifts, you know, and they like, you know, t- today is get on the, on video today is, you know, uh, January 7th. It it's uh, here's me standing on the scale. I weigh 217 pounds. Here's me walking over to the barbell. I'm going to bench press this much. You can clearly see it's on there. And then they bench it to standard. And then, you know, we can tell that remotely exactly like, you know, in the same way that we know, for example, that, uh, you know, the great MMA fighters that we see on TV, we know they're great fighters, even though most of us have never met them and have never seen them fight because we've seen them fight on right. remotely. So we can do the same thing as long as we're careful about making sure there's right. no way to cheat. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. You've got to be careful about the ability to actually quantify the information they're providing you. Right. right. And, and Depth on the and squat, we, you know, bar plates mm-hmm. on the bar, that sort of thing. And exactly. And we, and we, and we picked the those ways to measure strength, other than you know any other ways, because because it's simple and because we can prove it for sure remotely, and we have great databases about what it means. You know, so you know, there's lots of, of ways to measure physical fitness, and people can debate that stuff all they want. But how are you going to prove to me remotely that you can run, you know, three miles in this much time? Right. Why would I? How, how would I be able to do that in a way that you couldn't 
right. fudge the results. You right. Know? And and really, why would I care? You know, <laughs> yeah. Why would I care how, how long it takes you to run three miles? Because that doesn't help you get me off of the battlefield if I'm shot. Yeah. Right. And and sure, you know. So I yeah, this is a this is a interesting system. We uh evaluate our people uh for the coaching certification uh in person on the platform at our at our seminars because the ability to squat five hundred while that is easily demonstrated on video. The ability yeah. to coach somebody to squat 500 is something that that's entirely different thing. Entirely different thing. Entirely different thing. So we can't, we can't use the 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 a remote uh, online evaluation like that. And I think that anybody that says they can evaluate coaching ability remotely is uh, that's just not that's not the case. That can't. Yeah. Be. And I, I would say the same thing. Most of the most of the attempts at having online type uh, belt systems, there's some pretty famous ones out there, but they're mostly completely baloney. And the yeah. reason they are is because the focus of most martial arts teachers is technique, right? So they want to like demonstrate techniques and then have somebody demonstrate it back to them remotely or whatnot. But you know, the ability to be able to demonstrate a technique on a compliant opponent has nothing at all it's completely unrelated to being able to pull techniques off on people who are fighting you well so, and and more importantly it is it is it is completely irrelevant to the ability to teach that technique to someone who doesn't understand it yeah you know you can't just recite a template for a complex movement pattern you have yeah. to you have to reduce the complexity of the movement pattern to as simple as it can be made. You got to present that as a teaching model, and then you have to be able to troubleshoot the problems that you know are going to be there yeah, because they're going to be problems. Sure. Yeah. And if you can't fix things, yeah, then that's, you what, can't that's coach. what happens. That's what happens is these people try to have these belt systems where they're, it's about the technique like that, mm -hmm. and. And that's a, that exact problem you're talking about when trying to evaluate your people's coaching ability to, to, to for a certification thing. Yeah, how are you gonna how are you gonna teach somebody? Oh, here's the way to do the arm bar on somebody. Mm -hmm. um, because what's that person doing? Well, it's a live thing, right? It's there's so much sensory feedback involved in actually doing the skill in life that it's unrelated to dimming, demonstrating it. You know what I mean? It's like right. It's like you imagine if you could you could you could intellectually tell somebody how to do a head fake in basketball, right? But mm -hmm. you're never going to learn to head fake people unless you're playing basketball, right? You know, and and so you can't do that. We can't do it like this over video. It's not going to happen. No, it right? can't, can't be done. Can't right. be done. Uh, you you have to you have to teach it, and the teaching is the easy part. Here's the way we teach this thing. Now you do it, and now I. Look at what you did. I look at what you did, and I see now. Where's the? Uh, there's about three problems here. Which one do I address first, and how do I address that? At that part, you can't do remotely. Yeah, exactly right. Can't and, be. Done. So that's a, our belt system. Like I said, it doesn't. It's not trying to be what it can't be. Right. It's 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 only trying to be 
It's only trying to be let prove to me. I always say, look, I'm not from Missouri, but you're going to have to show me, right? Like you're going to have to prove you think you're if you think you're a good fighter. Great. But if I don't believe you unless I see it, unless I know it's real. So the same thing across the board, you know, so that's that's why, you know, we also have got, got it so that also nobody can promote by themselves. You know, to be a brown belt or black belt, it's not one authority. And the reason there's not is because because it's like a guild. You know, there's there's only a few black belts. I think the number is 22 right now, but it's going to go up pretty soon. We've got a bunch of people get promoted. But that being said, like like those guys get to decide who joins their guild and their standards, their reputation is on the line with everybody they let in. Right. If they lower the standard, then hurts them. less value accrues right exactly so and so wait so that's what i'm saying so they they you know you submit these videos of yourself fighting lifting and the standards are pretty high you know they to be able to be a black belt in our system you need to be strong you know like you don't need to be an elite level lifter but you've got to be more than an intermediate level lifter to be mm-hmm. up there and then the same thing is true with like a black belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt standard, like all of our all of our belt systems, they're tied to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu belt standards, but they're above, right? As what I mean by that is, our lowest belt is gray. So to be a gray belt, you have to be able to fight at the blue belt level, and so you prove that by already being a blue belt, winning matches as a blue belt, and then you're, that's the fight standard. Then on top of that, you have to have the strength standard, the shooting standard, the uh, you know, so so the shooting standard is like that. So we we in a similar way, we piggyback off of the large organizations that are around the world. So there's like the United States Practical Shooting Association and, uh, and there's others like that. And they, and they have uh, handicapping systems so that you can, when you go to a large tournament, it might be 600 people shooting, but you don't want to be you know, in 600th place. You'll shoot against the people who are about your level. and They'll be like the B-class shooters or the A-class shooters or the master-class shooters or etc. So the, those are percentages of the population, right? When you go to a big jiu-jitsu tournament, what percentage of people are black belts? Well, very small. And what percentage of shooters are the master class shooters? Very small. So they can measure, they have ways of measuring that against people. You know, your percentage of what the best guys shot that day, that's going to tell you where you stand because there are going to be this many people at that level and that's this level, you know? So those are the requirements. You have to go to these big tournaments, show your stuff, Win fights, shoot fast and accurate, you know, and you can't fake it. Right? There's no, there's no faking that, right? Right. I think it's interesting that that uh, you are relying on the expertise of expert practitioners uh, in other organizations to do this for you. Uh, why would you want to develop your own system of evaluating persons? handgun shooting capacity one already one already exists and you can just rely on that you know yeah, rely on the, the associated expertise right and that's, it also gives us the ability very to be interesting but to be worldwide you know what i mean if so i have a right. guy if i have a guy in utah or montana or south africa right so if they go to a jiu-jitsu tournament fight against the blue belts and they're in the uae or someplace the standard is pretty much the same the world over and they can do it remotely don't have to have any connection to me so that's take advantage of that that's right excellent right 
It yeah, also that, it also avoids you stroking your own ego, right? Because you're relying on a on a, you don't have Matt Larson's standard for shooting. It's yeah, it's a commonly accepted standard that you're recognizing, right? Yeah, that's right. right. And you know, I, this is that's the, the you know the thing is that none of this is about about me, right? Like this, nothing about me at all. Because you know, I'm I have my limitations. I'm only so strong. I'm only such a quality of black belt. I'm only a uh, you know, etc. I'm only so good of a shooter, but that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, even my limitations as a coach, you can have any coach, you know, either the coach is real and can teach you to fight and shoot and be strong, or he can't. And if he can't, you're not going to get the grade because we don't actually care if you get it or not. Right. So if, right. You, if you can, you can either pick up the 500 pounds, you know, to standard or you cannot. Right, and I don't, I don't care who taught you or what method. This is the way you have to do it in order to be recognized as a strong person. Now, isn't that interesting that, uh, uh, unfortunately, the military has decided otherwise? That they want a certain outcome, and that they are going to engineer the process to deliver that outcome for political reasons. Well, and I would say political that, reasons don't operate on a battlefield. Which yeah, is what I would what I would say is that you know, you, Matt, God they, they have the they have the they have the challenge of they have the challenge of teaching the teachers. And what I mean by that is when you have a new person come into the army and and who's teaching him along the way? It's always his first line supervisor and that's literally millions of people. I mean, they're you know, the, the lowest level supervisor is a fire team leader is in charge of three people. And and so that means that in a platoon, for example, is 30 people. The amount of people who are in supervisory positions, platoon leader, platoon sergeant, three squad leaders, each of those has got two fire team leaders. So there's six more. So there's, you know, you're up to almost half of the people are the ones who are supposed to be leading some element, right? Because when you're in battle, you, you can't be in charge of too much or you'll, you'll lose control right. of everybody because it's very confusing. So imagine what the challenge is, is train half the force to be able to teach something. Man, it's tough. Like, it's a, that's a really hard thing. So, you no, know, the Army is also, as much as they like to say they're about excellence, and I can tell you, like, I'm, where I work, I work in the Department of Physical Education at West Point, and it is a it is about excellence. You know, we have a building with 40 PhDs and various aspects of fitness, you know, so it's about excellence. But the Army at large doesn't have that. And therefore, when you're talking about putting 20, 30, 40, 60,000 people, you know, out there on the battlefield, it's not going to be excellent for all of them. You're going to have to get it as good as you can get. It's about making them you know what I mean? Like, what what is right. possible to do with a million people spread all over the world? You know, like the biggest base in America has probably got 40,000 people on it. And how many of those are there? Most of them have 15 or something and 20. And, and they're all over the world. So it's a, quite a giant logistical challenge. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's So I, I'll give you another example of that. So. We make everybody box, right? So all the old guys who are who are the big generals, a lot of them are West Pointers, and they had to box when they were a freshman in college. And so they always come to me, 
it was the hand-to-hand guy. They're like, ah, oh, we should have everybody box. I'm like, okay, well, let's think that through. What are the odds of dying in a boxing match? And there's something in the neighborhood of one in 200,000 exposures, right? Which is right. way safer, for example, than high school football. I think that's one in like 25,000. Those, these are don't don't quote me on these numbers, but they're right. it's no, something I, ballpark. Right. Yes, some ballpark thing. So I said, okay, we got a million people. If it's one in 200,000 exposures, if we had everybody in the army box, we'd have six people die. That's how it works. It's like the same kind of math that you're doing in the car business when you say, mm-hmm. oh, we this brake pedal is going to fail at this rate. Okay, we're going to produce 4 million of these. There's going to be 17 people who have accidents because of this, because of the strength of the material that we decided to use on this mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so that's that's the way you have to think whenever you're talking about these giant, these giant numbers. And I, look, I know you know this already because I imagine the difference between ever you or one coach coaching, you know, your personal clients and what you're doing now. Like it's a gigantic difference because now you got clients all over the world and an expanding right. network of people and, you know, it becomes tougher and tougher to make that happen and keep quality and, and make it about excellence, you know? Right. It's the, the difference is I control the, I don't quantify the outcome. Now, let me, let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. I don't say, and believe me, we we're, we have been under a lot of pressure recently I believe uh, to do this, I don't say how many people have to pass the seminar every time we hold one. I don't dictate the number of people that have to pass. In other words, I don't dictate to my staff who evaluate the ability of these people on the platform to coach. I don't yeah. dictate to them that they have to pass three people every weekend. Yeah. I, it, sometimes we have nobody pass. Now, that's very rare because people are coming better prepared. And I don't say we have, although we can use the coaches. Yeah. The the franchise gym system is growing rapidly, and we need the help. But we do not tell our staff we need five coaches this weekend. We need five coaches. Yeah. So you guys are going to figure out a way to pass five of these people. We, we don't do that. We never have done that. We're not going to. Because That's the, the minute you your... start doing that, mm-hmm. the minute you start doing that, then you lose the respect for the certification. Because yeah. any, I mean, they, they passed because they needed to help, not because they could do the actual coaching task itself. So in any other situation where you've got 9,000 people at, for example, the Pentagon deciding what needs to happen. Uh, and you've got, you know, 8,540 different excuses for why they personally want it to happen that way. Then you, now, you've got, now you've got a problem with the standard because the standard does not reflect the reality on the ground of what actually needs to happen. Yeah. Politics got involved in it, and I'm glad I'm not you. Yeah, or a, but, or a profit motive, or something like that, or whatever so like, you know, some yeah, ex, something, something external to like, the to right. the actual task in hand here. I, I give you an example of that from my perspective. Right, so in the belt system, we we endorse 
good sources of information, but we don't take um, certifications for anything because we're measuring skills, right? So we don't right. take certifications of skills from anybody for um, as as proof. And so, but we endorse right. good sources, you know, precisely. And, right. So, like, because I know what happens if you go to Joe's shooting class and you you go to the shooting class, it's not like they're failing people. They're not failing people because. They're trying to, they have a profit motive and they're there to get more people in. So everybody sure. graduates. So it doesn't mean you can shoot. It, it doesn't mean you can shoot. Like, like one of the things that happens in that world is that like, there's a whole lot of guys out there living off the laurels. The fact that they were in some elite unit and they say, ah, oh, you know, I was a ranger. I was a seal. I was a special forces guy. And therefore, you know, I can, I can she teach you how to shoot. Well, I've right. been around well, all, all those units, and I know that that's not true, right? No, it's, so, it's not true of anything we do either. Because, you yeah. know, if that was true of what you guys do, all you'd have to do is take a BJJ black belt and make sure that they'd, they'd promoted him to black belt, and then you do the the shooting organization what's he rank, mm -hmm. ranked in the shooting organization has he passed high level first aid you know what uh, yeah, what's his total in the in the USPF yeah and uh USAPL I guess it is something like that <laughs> something like that whatever they are in it uh and and you you don't even have to evaluate the guy he's got five certifications therefore he's a black belt for you yeah, you don't have to do any evaluation at all, and if that was, but that is obviously wrong. It's right. obviously this, wrong, and and you haven't one done of those it. Is, uh, the stickiest one of those is the is the rank in the martial arts. You know, so right. So all the martial arts, whenever you, the the belts don't mean anything. Do you know what I mean? Like so so where I, I used to have a picture over my desk of two six-year-olds getting their black belts in taekwondo right whenever i talk to class on what the belts mean i'd say are those real belts and everybody in class would be like no and i'm like no they are because what does the belt mean it only means that somebody thinks you should wear it right and so that guy right. thinks these six-year-olds should wear it that's what it means so even in the brazilian jiu-jitsu world when you get a, a belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu it comes attached with a name it's like oh i'm a black belt under so and so because that person's reputation is on the line when they promote you, and some people's reputation is better than others. Some people give it away easier than some, than some others, and so our system isn't like that at all. Except for the, the you're promoted by the Guild of Black Belts, right? So it's like I had a teacher one time as a big high level Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy, and he was trying to sell his teaching program to the general that I was working for at the time. And then at the world that the general came by and he said, he says, oh, yeah, this is so and so he's a black belt. And I said, OK, well, who says he's an expert? His father. OK, so imagine <laughs> if my father was the president of Texas A&M, right? Could he give right. me a Ph.D.? Like, no, because you still have to do the coursework and you get promoted into Ph.D. guild by the other Ph.D.s. Your dad's got nothing to do with it. So that's the kind well, he of system shouldn't have trying, anyway. Yeah, that's what kind of system we're <laughs> trying to build. Where, like, that's what I said. I can't promote anybody. Somebody comes to me and says, "I want to be a brown belt or black belt in combatives." I'm like, "Well, that's great." Right. You know, you know, I'm and, glad and, you do. I can't it, help you except for tell you what to do. Similar to that, <laughs> right? I have absolutely nothing to do, nothing whatsoever to do, with who passes 
the platform at our seminar. Right. These fucking guys don't even tell me who they're looking at. Right. Unless I ask who's opted in. They'll say, what do you care? (laughs) Who's opted in to be evaluated? Get the hell away from me. You know, I'm, just, I, I'm not respected at all. And, and uh, I have not nothing, sure that's it. nothing whatsoever to do with whether, whether anybody passed or failed or anything. I'm not involved in the evaluation process. I don't even know what the oral board sounds like. I've never heard one. Yeah. But we somehow managed to pass, oh, what, two or three every seminar? Yeah, at least that. Two or three. You know, but not, I think the most we've ever passed was five out of how many uh, out of how many out of, oh out of out of the people that opt in we might have uh eight or nine people opt in and three of them pass yeah and uh you know it's a it's a it's a low percentage and that has changed over time because the people that are trying to opt in now and get the certification are a different bunch of people than we're doing it seven or eight years ago yeah. Uh, this is a professional certification and these people with the starting strength coach certification, all of them get contacted all the time about their services as an SSC, yeah. which makes it different than every other, uh, strength and conditioning certification in the industry. You know, yeah. nobody's ever been contacted because they're a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the NSCA. Nobody. But we get contacted all the time. But I don't have anything whatsoever to do with that. Yeah, uh, except for set, except for setting up the system. That's all and I did set the system. Yes, yeah, I set the system up, and you're kind of in the same situation. And that's yeah, the way it ought to be. That's the way it has to that's be. That's right. It has yeah. to be that way. Absolutely. Yeah, it can't. It can't be personal. And like nobody, I don't even. We do stuff too, like you know, like um, we're working on a system now to evaluate cops when they get in fights and whatnot. So there's all kind of like uh, secrecy issues in other words there's right. liabilities and all this kind of stuff right. so yeah so i'm not i'm not even ever gonna like publish like here's who is all on the board and it's rotating and there's different right. people all the time but, I, but because there's complications if you start to do that people right. start you know hitting those people up and now we're not going to be compromised you know we're going right. to make sure that our stuff is real always now it- you touched on a thing earlier. I want to. I want to. I want to ask you about. Um, you guys uh, in a in a platoon of guys. You're saying that maybe half, maybe a little more than half of those people are also in a leadership capacity, which in essence is an instructional capacity within within the structure, right? We have always taken the position, and, and this, is, this has been true since 2006 when we were teaching this, uh, this material through CrossFit, and it's, it's been an integral aspect of the seminar since we've been doing this by ourselves for the past 12 years. Uh, we make everyone on the platform lift the bar in all five of the exercises and we also make them coach it because you learn by teaching yeah 
and this is this is fundamental to the way we operate this 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 entire system we make you handle the material from both sides of the bar as it were yeah what is what are your thoughts on on that you have you noticed a a uh well, a, a an improvement in the quality of the performance of these people because they're in a leadership capacity yeah i would say there are there you learn leadership by being forced to lead Mm -hmm. And, you know, so imagine the way that works in the army when somebody comes in and they're a brand new private, just we'll just talk about the infantry because that's where I'm most familiar. But when you're a, a young infantryman, you know, you get to a unit, you're a rifleman, you're in a three, you're in a four man element called a fire team. First two or three years, you're just going to be one of the guys implementing the tasks, being taught what to do, you know, movers of, you know, fire maneuver, moves and move fire team, cross danger areas. There's a thousand tasks, you know, that you have to learn to do. Then your next step is going to be the guy in charge of three three other guys. Then your next step, a couple of years later, you're going to be in charge of two of those elements. You know, pretty soon you're going to be the number two guy in charge of three of the next size elements. And it goes up right. like that. And, and there's a there's a two-tiered <clears throat> system, so you know, the officers come in, their first job is to be in charge of 30, right? But... It's, it's sophisticated in this in this regard, you know, like what are they being prepped for? Well, they're really being prepped to lead battalion. So battalion is 600 people, mm -hmm. you know, so that's a it is a the, the army is very sophisticated about how you would teach somebody to be in charge of 600 person element involved in combat. Right. right, right. A, lots of different moving parts and lives are on the line with all of it, you know. So. So, yeah, I would say that that what you're describing that you have them do that's it built into the way the army does business at every level that you and even even the fact that the army forces you to take all the various jobs you know you're gonna be a platoon mm -hmm. leader then you, then you can be the executive officer in charge of the logistics then you're going to be the mortar you know leader then you're going to be in charge of the company a company of 150 guys then you're going to be in charge of the three shop, which does all the planning, then you're going to be in charge. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a systematic way to get you to where you're going. So by the time right. you're the guy there, you know, your profession inside and out. Right. You're exposed to all of these tasks, all of the working parts of the system you're exposed to. And not only are you exposed to it, you're, you're expected you're to be able to direct it and yeah, teach it to the people to that perform. come in. Right. right. You have to perform. And, and that's, if you don't perform, it becomes obvious, and then you're not one of the guys that's getting the next promotion. Right? So, right. and they're and they're challenging jobs, you know. Like, and, uh, and and my point is, is that when you're forced to perform in this capacity, you're one of the aspects of performance is telling people that don't know how to do this how to do it, right. and in that process of instruction, you yourself are learning as well because you're yeah. handling the material in different ways based upon the fact that the kid that you're trying to teach this may not understand it the way you explained it the first time so we need to explain it a different way and that forces yeah. you to think about it and it and teaches you, also, you something and you, and you start by you start by coaching one person you know i'm going to teach this person right right but then pretty soon you're teaching these three and then pretty soon it's these nine, 
And then, and then, you know, I always, always joke about the fact that, you know, public speaking is a great fear of many people, right? Because of performance anxiety and whatnot. But, but that's not something that any soldier has a problem with because you're always talking to people starting with one, then, you know, like you can grab any soldier in the entire army and, you know, put them in charge of, put them in, to stand in front of 150 people and they won't have any problem talking to them and telling them what, teaching them a class. Or right. Cause they've done it every day since they've been in. Yeah. Since right. you're 18 years old, you've been doing that right. exact thing. So, well, that's a valuable skill. That's a valuable yeah. skill. You can, if you can be relied on to, to, to teach, then, uh, you, you, uh, are doing more than pulling your own weight. Yeah. Another thing about the army too is, and this is kind of think about this in sports in general. You know, it's like, like imagine when when soccer was infiltrating the United States back when it was actually a little bit after I was a kid because we didn't we didn't have that when I was a kid. But but imagine how it infiltrated the states, right? There was not expert instruction. No, you know there was no. I played in high school, and and the poor guys that were trying to coach us. <laughs> no idea yeah, what the hell. No idea, doing. right? Yeah, we start. I I helped start a wrestling program in, in uh, Columbus High School in Columbus, Georgia, just right outside Fort Benning. And the first year, the football coach who had never wrestled was the wrestling coach. Not hurt. And I, I never wrestled either, but you know, but I knew jujitsu and judo. So uh, the next year, I heard about. So I asked if I could help. So the next year, I helped. Right, and and that year, we actually won a few matches. Right, yeah. and then after. That, <laughs> You know, and after that, I got a guy who was like a good coach who, who knew how to do it, a real wrestler. And the year after that, they hired a real wrestler, right? But that's the thing. What do you need to know on many things? What do you need to know to coach people? Well, you just need to know more than them. Now, it's an important distinction, though, because yeah. some things some things are def- are different than that, right? Because right. imagine, imagine strength training. Well, you can't do it that way with strength training because if you do, people get hurt. You know, or they don't no get strong. What, yeah. You know? I mean, you can't just you can't just get hired as a calculus teacher if you don't know how to solve calculus problems. And uh, I mean, there are certain things that that you know um, are kind of important in terms of the actual details, like wrestling. You know, yeah. it's a it believe it or not, it's an organized organized activity, and you can't tell the offensive line coach. To suddenly, he now he's going to be the wrestling coach, and he well, wrestled say, around on the, in the living room when he was a kid. So that's good enough, right? I would say that strength is even different than that because at the end of the day, when you got weight on the bar, it's dangerous. Right? It, it can be, know, yes. You don't know what be. you're doing. Everybody's seen these, you know, clown show clowns of the gym videos where people are oh. in there just flapping around doing stuff. You know, it's like okay, well, not like that. Because that's clear. <laughs> somebody's definitely getting hurt whenever right, you know right. what I mean. I was in I was in a gym, man. I don't know, not too many months ago, and there was a guy definitely like way too much weight on the bar, and then like you know, dropping it off one side, and you know the whole thing like man, and everybody's kind of like, what's up? And I was like, yeah, you're gonna get hurt. That's three hundred pounds. If you mess around with that, it's gonna break your leg. You know. You know? And- and my opinion on that is, is look, you get hurt, you'll heal. But if you fuck up my gym, 
<laughs> You're costing That's me money, cost and I'm not. Gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna have that. <laughs> That's right. right. So, uh, I mean, you'll heal up after all. You know, everything heals. But uh, I don't. I don't want them in there doing this. So this is, you know, one of the reasons that we teach uh, things the way we teach is is because, oh, I guess because it's safer when you do it our way. But really, safety is a byproduct of efficiency yeah and we have developed a way to teach these things in a very very efficient way to very effectively produce a strength increase in a short amount of time and one of the side effects of doing it this way is that nobody gets hurt yeah you know we're not in a situation like you guys are if somebody gets hurt in one of your programs then they're not fit for combat and we can't have that because that's what we're paying them to be ready for. Uh, one of my members gets hurt, he quits. So you're in a you're in a much more critical situation in terms of injury you know, potential than we are. But but uh, what we have found is that if you're effectively doing the exercise, the the way that gets the job done, makes you strongest over the longest range of motion, longest effective range of motion with the with more weight, then you're also doing the exercise in a way that does not injure anybody. Now you get up into the rarefied levels of elite strength. You know, a 600 pound squat has always got the potential, always got the potential to hurt somebody. But you guys aren't dealing with that. You don't want them to be competitive lifters. You just want them to be strong soldiers. Yeah. I, I would also say that there's a, there's a, one of the things we deal with is that the what people think is dangerous and what is dangerous are completely different things. And the primary motivator of what people think is dangerous is that they're uh, is that they're afraid of it, and they're not afraid of it because it's dangerous. They're afraid of it because of their ego. Do you know what I mean? So, right. so like we were talking about before, like right. So, so I'll give you a little trivia. You know, what do you think was the number one physical activity? that sent soldiers home from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan every single year for, for orthopedic issues. Man, I got no ba- idea. It was basketball. Wow. Right? But, so nobody thinks that basketball is Bas- dangerous, right? right? But basketball is – so we, we – There's a lot of knees know, in basketball, man. That's right. Well, you know, ACLs in, in, fighting, in fighting, our injury rate is super low, like a – at West Point, super low. We like we just hardly ever hurt anybody. Well, because we're adults, and we know where people get hurt, and we know how to avoid it. Right. Okay. So, so, you know. Meanwhile, we definitely lose more people to handball and you know <laughs> basketball and flickerball right. recreational activity. That's right. Those are things that are all way more dangerous than fighting. So, so then when people come to us and say, "Well, you know, combatants, it's pretty dangerous," I'm like, "No, it's actually not. What's dangerous is that you're what you're afraid of is an injuries. What you're afraid of is humiliation. People are afraid of combatants. <laughs> right. Yeah, people are afraid of combatants for the same thing they're afraid of public speaking for. Right? They're not afraid because they're going to go out there and break a leg. They're afraid because they're going to go out there and humiliate themselves. It's right. the same thing that keeps people out of the gym. Right? The 135 pound deadlifter. He doesn't want to come in. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's ashamed of the single plate on each side. Most dangerous yeah. sport in the world is soccer. All surveys agree on on that. All yeah. surveys agree most dangerous sport in the world is soccer, especially women's 
soccer. You get in any advanced women's soccer program, and virtually every kid on the team's got a scar on one of their knees because of the ACL surgery. It's a it's a terribly dangerous sport. You've got cleats, you've got planting on the surface, and you've got change of direction. And yeah. and you've got coaches that do not understand that the hamstrings hamstring strength protects the knees and they don't understand that squats and deadlifts make for strong hamstrings so as a result the kids are all under the knife all the all the time but we don't no one has suggested that we eliminate soccer as an organized sport in the united states but you know of course weightlifting and combatives that's where everybody gets hurt so you know once again it's a situation where the facts although interesting are irrelevant <laughs> right right you know now i always tell people about injuries and weightlifting so so i used to have quite a bad back right like when i was in my 30s maybe my back was pretty bad and and i had no acl in my in my right knee i blew it out in an mma fight when i was 28 or something 20, 29 something like that but you know when you're 31 your leg is still really strong and you mm-hmm. don't really need an acl because it'll pull it right knee together right so anyway so so what happens though is as you get older, if you're not training, and those muscles start to lose that strength, suddenly that knee's flapping, and you need surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing is, happens with your back. You know, when people have back problems and back aches and all that, well, why? Well, because when you're older and all those muscles are no longer strong because you're not training, every time you lay down, all your vertebrae is going crazy because there's nothing mm-hmm. holding it together. You know, so I'm 55 years old now. I don't have any back problems whatsoever. None. Like zero, and you know why? Because you did because of because of squatting and deadlifting. That's right. right, exactly. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the reasons that uh, the gym franchise, uh, the chain of franchise gyms, works so well is because fifty five year old guys come into the gym and three weeks, nine squat deadlift workouts later their back is no longer hurting when it's been hurting them for five or six years. Chronic yeah. low-level back pain is gone. And this sells memberships because <laughs> 55-year-old guys don't enjoy back pain. And we make it go away for that very reason because a strong back is not a painful back. But either way, let's say you got chronic back pain. Would you rather have a would you have rather have chronic back pain and a strong back or chronic back pain and a weak back? Sometimes pain is there. You just got to deal with it. You learn to deal with pain. Strength is always better. For everything and everybody in every situation, it's better to be stronger than it is to be weaker. And I'm terribly glad that you guys are in a position in the United States Military Academy at West Point to teach people this very, very important lesson. Matt, yeah. thank you for being with us today. We we really, really appreciate your time. Uh, I encourage everybody to to look at Matt Larson's webpage on Wikipedia. It's a, he's had a fascinating career, to say the least. And... Uh, Matt, I got to ask you: Have you ever met Billy Wall? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, you you may have and didn't know it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
you may have look him up. He's another fascinating guy. Man, if we could get Billy Wall in here to talk, that'd be, be so cool. Wouldn't that be cool? God almighty. But you and him, you and, and Wall are kind of guys that regular folks like us look up to, and we appreciate your time and uh I wish you the the best of success. If there's anything we can do to help you, like I'd love for you to be my guest at a seminar anytime you want to come down here. And, Man, uh, I would love that. And we will make that happen just as soon as you can schedule the trip. You know, I, sh- I should tell everybody before we go that uh, one of my black belts, John Valentine, was uh, was teacher at an event that you guys held, which was exactly parallel to our belt system, which was you know strength and fighting and shooting, and. You know, those things roll together. Those are man right. skills. You know, those yeah. are warrior skills. He's buddies with Nick. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's something that we have valued for a long time. And, uh, uh, Nick's our resident combatives guy here. And, uh, uh, I'm too beat up at this point to fight anybody. I'm, Nick is too, but he's just stubborn. He's we're trying to we're trying to put together a, a summer camp for some of our kids at uh, West Point that is exactly like. In fact, uh, 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 Kim Nagy, that I was telling you, was one of your coaches. Right. She she's trying to put it together right now to mirror that same thing for like a three right. week long or two week long camp. Well, and that's what the kids do: get strong, learn how to shoot and fight. Right. Well, come down anytime you want to and uh, sit through the seminar and. And it may be that you can appreciate something that we're doing and take it back with you, and and uh, and maybe we can help in that way. Uh, All right. Once again, Matt Larson's been our guest, and uh, we appreciate his time. Thank you Thanks for being lot. here, Matt. And thank you for joining us on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time.